Welcome to Energy Crossroads, where we talk Texas clean energy. We're on a mission to learn more about how clean energy impacts a wide variety of industries. We will explore conversations with industry leaders around clean energy trends and related technology, finance, the built environment, and policy opportunities impacting your organization. This podcast is powered by HARC, a research hub providing independent analysis on energy, air, and water issues to people seeking scientific answers, and is underwritten by the State Energy Conservation Office. And we'd also like to thank our new sponsor, the Mitchell Foundation, who recently came aboard and has provided support for our most recent podcasts. Thanks for tuning in for this podcast, where we speak to solution providers, finance experts, and end users about clean energy investment practices and financing tools. I'm your host, Gavin Dillingham, and I'm joined today by our co-host, Marina Bedouin-Criticos. Hey, Marina, how are you doing today? Hey, Gavin, it's great to be here. Oh my gosh, there is so much going on. We have so much to talk about, I feel like, over the course of the next few episodes. Things are changing, and it looks like rapidly, especially in this space when it comes to clean energy. And it looks like this push to decarbonize is just going to go faster and faster. I'm thrilled that we've got the speaker with us today to talk about the world of solar, um, how the solar market is rapidly evolving, how our energy markets are reshaping through this push to decarbonize. I'm excited that we're going to you know, have an opportunity to talk through how property owners can really look at everything that's out there and available and really find a choice that works best for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the new administration coming in online and uh, the recommitment to the Paris Agreement, I think we're going to continue to see a variety of opportunities becoming available across the kind of the green energy transition space here. So yeah, very exciting time to be kind of in this space. And I I think, you know, the sun continues to rise for solar and there's some great opportunities. So, you know, today we're going to start unpacking some of these major changes that are happening in the energy markets and talk through uh, the shift to distributed local energy and how those ongoing opportunities continue to increase over time. And I'm really excited to have Jordan Fruget join us today. He's a national leader in the renewable energy and solar industries and founder and president of Fast Track Energy Services, which is a residential solar installation provider. And also, I think Jordan and I met, uh, you know, a few years ago when the city of Houston was looking at doing some solar at the George R. Brown Convention Center and a couple of other places. So I've known Jordan for a little bit and excited to kind of see uh, how he continues to, to push things along, especially in the Houston area. Welcome, Jordan. Hey, guys. It's terrific and so happy to be here. And I mean, I love talking this stuff, so looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jordan. Uh, We're excited to take this deep dive into the world of residential energy finance. One of the things we were talking about as we were putting this show together was just that there's so many ways to put a solar project together. So we're thrilled that you're here and you're going to talk to us about some of the various solutions that can really help bring solar power to the people. So with that, let's start with a little bit of background. How did you get into this clean energy space? What was really your primary motivation to do this type of work? So Marina, it goes back uh, really 15 years um, or, or more now, but uh, I'm a business school dropout. So I was working on an MBA. I was living in Dallas years ago and um, ended up doing a project that you know led me down a path to really research and start to look at solar energy. And it was during that that I just felt compelled, like that it was going to be the direction things had to head. And so in 2006, I had the opportunity to come down to Houston and started my first solar company, which was a great experience. And part of the thesis in starting that company was really just like, we didn't feel like there was anyone else 
available to go do it. And for the energy capital of the world, not to really have a robust sort of group of folks who could go install solar panels felt like an opportunity. So, you know, that's kind of really how I got into it. And, you know, the primary motivation has, has been and continues to be is just, you know, wanting to participate in this transition, right? So as you go back and you look at historically at the energy industry, um, there's been these sort of transition periods. And I think, you know, I feel really lucky that, you know, my career has happened to fall over our transition from, you know, the traditional fossil fuels to uh, renewable energy technologies. And so to the extent that I can participate and help facilitate that, you know, that seems like just a terrific opportunity. Thank you. And so I wanted to kind of dig deep a bit into um, kind of where, where you are right now. I mean, as I said, we've kind of known, known each other for the last few years. And, you know, you've been a part of a variety of, of successful uh, solar and uh, distributed energy companies. And so what was kind of the motivation for Fast Track? What do you kind of see happening in the market that you see Fast Track as being that type of model that will continue to get growth and kind of strengthen the industry here in, the, in Texas and Houston? Well, Gavin, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. And I think when I started my last two companies, which were you know, Suncap Financial and Sonova, respectively, you know, each of those were really started in a time where there just wasn't a lot of access to capital in the market, meaning that historically you had people who, um, if you didn't have a, a check book where you could write a $30,000 check to go put solar panels on your house, you kind of didn't get to go solar. And wanting to address that at the time, I felt like was um, the best way to, to add value and address a need in the market. You can contrast that to where we are today, where we have a lot of great you know, sources of financing and finance companies that are out there across the country that are making it much easier for homeowners and businesses to say yes to solar and make that uh, transition. So that's really been addressed. And so with Fast Track, what we're really trying to tackle, Gavin, is um, that final mile of extending all the way to the rooftop and addressing the soft costs of solar. So when you look at what it takes to go solar, a lot of the costs and a lot of the work has historically been in this back-end piece of, great, someone says that they want to put solar in their house, but you know now what? And, you know, Fast Track really helps to address and, you know, simplify the process by which we take care of the designing, the engineering, the permitting, the procurement, all the logistics ranging for the fulfillment. And we're leveraging technology to do that. So just with, you know, the experience and expertise that I've obtained over the years, we're able to do the back end piece with greater uh, efficacy. And so hoping to drive those costs out because ultimately, you know, Gavin, if we can if we can drive those costs out and continue to drive down the installed cost of solar, it's kind of like we're expanding the base of the pyramid. And those per, those participants who are able to again now choose solar for their home. So that's going to continue to be our focus. You know, we we can't really sort of impact the cost of capital. You know, at, at Fast Track, we can't impact the cost to a large degree of the equipment. Right? You know, those are being set by other market forces but we can absolutely target the soft costs and how do we be more efficient and effective at deploying solar and thus ultimately trying to help make it available to more people. Yeah, absolutely. That soft cost component just continues to be the key. And as we 
work with the Department of Energy on a variety of projects. Um, that seems to be in many cases, what they're looking for is how do we reduce those customer acquisition and, and marketing costs and you know, all those pieces associated with the soft costs because you know, the technology costs do continue to come down significantly, the hardware side. That's right, yep. And so I'm wondering with that is, do you see this kind of shift in costs as the primary reason why more people are looking at solar in storage now? We know initially, as you said, you didn't have kind of that $30,000 to go ahead and write the check. Are you seeing that, a shift in that motivation over time? I think a little bit, Marina, that, you know, when you looked at um, years ago, it was definitely more early adopters. And so they had a, a different set of motivation. But as we, you know, work through the migration to other people, we're starting to see those, you know, primary motivations change. And, and what I, I would tell you today is, you know, certainly there's a desire to, to be able to clip uh, the cord from the grid. Unfortunately, we're just, that's not really a, um, a practical solution at this point, but the main thing driving it is energy savings and really security. So I think, you know, most of our customers, when we talk to them, they're certainly, they're interested in saving money but they're just as interested in sort of insulating themselves from what they kind of feel like are perpetual price increases. The interesting thing is that, you know, you can look at the rise in rates over time. There have also been times when, you know, the rates and especially within Texas and ERCOT have actually decreased. But when you go talk to homeowners and ask them, hey, are rates going up or down? Even if they have been going down, Marina, they feel like they're going up. So there's just kind of that general customer sentiment that they feel like it's just sort of like this continual and perpetual march where that's getting more and more expensive. And so they want to do something about that. Um, it's also interesting. So the fast track, we cover all of Texas. We also do a fair number of installations in California. You know, in Texans, we enjoy much uh, cheaper electricity than they do in California. But regardless of whether you're paying, you know, 12 to 13 cents in Texas or you're paying 25 to 30 cents in California, everyone still feels like they're paying too much. So re regardless of where that rate is, everyone's looking for ways in which they can save on that. And at least to the extent that the solar is able to offset their consumption, really insulate themselves from future price increases. On that, as far as the people's, they're, they're concerned about the price increase side of things and just are concerned about the escalation there. What are kind of you seeing in the trends as far as the size of systems that are being installed on like typical residential, as far as, you know, what, what percent of coverage are we seeing on there? Are they able to, at this point, kind of cover most of the load? Or are they looking to kind of cover just a fraction of that? How are you kind of seeing that trend play out there as far as the size of these systems? Yeah, so we see, uh, Gavin, we see an average of nine kilowatts as our average system size. So that's been increasing over time. You know, a few years ago, it was five to six, mm -hmm. then it was eight. And now we're seeing, at least I can tell you from our data set, we're seeing around a nine KW. And so for a customer in Texas or in the Houston area, for example, let's say that's going to make around 12 megawatt hours a year. Um, and depending upon kind of how you're looking at the averages, people use roughly you know, one to one and a half megawatts per month on average. So, you know, that's going to be anywhere from two thirds to a hundred percent offset, depending upon how much energy you use at your home. It's uh, as a solar uh, company, you know, we see typically bigger systems in Texas than we do in other parts of the country. 
And a lot of that is really driven by the fact that our loads, given the, you know, the wonderful Texas summers that we have, people use a lot more energy per capita than they do elsewhere. Well, wonderful. And as well as on the, on the storage side, um, what kind of uptick are you seeing on the storage piece there as far as, you know, are, are you seeing kind of that, that coupling together pretty strongly now where when people are looking at solar, they're also asking about storage or is there still kind of a fairly separate kind of consideration? I'm glad you asked the question about storage. In Texas specifically, Gavin, there is not a great uh, attachment rate for solar plus storage. And I think what I tell people when they ask me, or I, I, I end up asking them is, you know, do you remember Betamax? Right. Right. So pre VHS and pre the giant laser discs, right? We're in Betamax with batteries right now. So we can absolutely put batteries on your home. Is it going to do what most people want, which is they say, hey, I want to, you know, be able to run my house. If we ever lose power, I want to run the whole thing and run our air conditioner. Well, we're just not there yet from a technology perspective. And um, it's going to be there. It's just going to take more time for the cost to come down there to really make it compelling. And that's my opinion. You know, if you want a battery, we can do batteries. There's a few different batteries out there. I would say Tesla probably has one of the, the better batteries, followed by LG. Generac has a nice battery system. So there are options out there, but we're still just very early in that race. And so you know, I feel like it's more of the early technology adopters who are wanting to do that once they understand really what the capabilities are of the batteries today. Yeah, it's just, it's been just really curious. You know, we, we have a lot of people just kind of talking generally about storage and you know, it seems like it's a, kind of a sexy topic and it can do all sorts of great things. And, but then you start looking at the price tag and what its full capabilities are and you're like, oh, yeah, it may be worth waiting a bit on that just to kind of see where the pricing continues to go. Because you have seen some dramatic decreases, but it, it started at such a high level that it's going to still take some time. to. I think that's exactly right. And look, and I, I don't know when it happens, Gavin. I think ultimately we all have batteries in our you know garage or on the side of our house because, you know, it's going to make sure that, you know, you have that reliable source of power, regardless of whatever is happening with the grid. And, you know, I think also as the grid evolves and how retailers end up evolving in terms of how they charge for solar then, or charge for energy, you're going to see some other advantages to batteries, such as being able to arbitrage time of use rates. And so essentially using the battery energy during periods of high demand and high energy costs that could be a way where now we start to see some economic benefits associated with batteries plus storage that will make and accelerate the, um, the adoption of batteries throughout Texas. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's going to be a key piece there. So you've talked a good bit about just kind of how Fast Track kind of approaches the solar market here. And you know, understandable that um, you guys don't have a lot of control on, you know, on the cost of capital and that piece there. But I'm just I'm curious, you know, especially since you helped find Sonova, there and one of their key areas of focus has been kind of on power purchase agreements, leasing, other types of just kind of purchase options. So what do you kind of see as the kind of the, the growing potential around different types of financing options? I'm assuming still a lot of it's just people writing checks, but you know, what, what kind of trends are you seeing there as far as people's openness and willingness to kind of try other methods to get rooftop solar? You know, it's been my experience, Gavin, and what we're seeing is that uh, still a fairly small percentage of folks are, you know, breaking out the checkbook. 
they're always welcome to do that. But with the amount of capital that's available at a relatively inexpensive cost of capital, you know, everyone's choosing to, you know, I would say 95% plus are choosing to finance their system. Um, and, you know, it makes the, the overall sales process a heck of a lot easier, you know, when you're having to go through, explain the, the long-term value proposition of solar. And it really, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because it mirrors how we've traditionally bought our energy. So it's not a direct one-to-one. In a loan, for example, it's not a direct one-to-one on the cost per kilowatt hour, but effectively it still um, correlates between the energy you're producing and those monthly payments you're making. Um, Same as for a PPA, which is directly related to how we've always bought energy is saying, hey, for every kilowatt hour delivered, um, you know, I'm going to pay you a guaranteed rate. And so uh, there's uh, really, I don't see a downside to uh, using a form, one of the four different forms of financing. And, you know, as I mentioned, when, you know, I was fortunate to, to help co-found, you know, a couple different finance companies, Sonova included, there weren't a lot of options. And today, you know, you've got some great lenders out there, companies like LoanPal, Sunlight Financial, Mosaic, and others that have very competitively priced um, loan options. And, um, you know, really do a great job. And then on, you know, the pure solar finance companies. uh, So you have companies like Sonova, uh, as well as Sunrun. uh, And there's another firm in the Midwest called IGS Energy, who do a great job and have terrific options for the for the power purchase agreement market. So there's just a lot of options and that which is terrific, because back to my point, we want to address those barriers that we're keeping more people from adopting solar and choosing that for their home. And in that line, when you're looking at people looking to finance and take a loan out on us, what's kind of a typical time frame for a solar type loan? And what is that like a similar to a home equity loan or a, what does that look like as far as that loan product or what's kind of similar that people can kind of relate to? It's more like a car loan, Gavin, that you're uh, paying off over 20 or 25 years. So the most common term links that we um, see customers choose are the 20-year option or the 25-year option. You know, we have an available, you know, seven-year, 10-year, 15-year options. But again, the loan effectively makes buying solar, that monthly payment for the loan, roughly, you know, equal to kind of the energy that they're paying or would be used, that they're used to buying from their retail electric provider. So again, it just sort of makes that a lot easier transition for the homeowner and, um, you know, the financing companies as well as fast track, you know, we look to make that as, as simple and as seamless as possible for the customer. Okay. And, and what kind of rates do people typically see there? Yeah, no. So, I mean, there are rates as low as, um, you know, 199 or 1.99% to 2.99%. So there's a few different um, rate options out there but very inexpensive, you know, loans that really help make it a lot more affordable to go solar. Okay. Well, that's actually lower than I was thinking it, it could potentially be. It sounds really nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to do that over that period of time at that type of interest rate is very interesting. Um, and so just one other question, you know, when you think about, you know, kind of home ownership over time and a 20 to 25 year type loan, how do 
people kind of look at that as far as, well, I'm, I'm probably going to be moving, you know, the kids are leaving the house. I'm going to go move to a smaller home or they're just looking at different moving options over time. How, how do they kind of deal with that if they have a, have that ongoing loan there? That's a reasonable thing. And I would tell people too, look, if you're, if you're planning on leave, you know, moving your house in the next year or so, then, you know, maybe you don't want to go do that. But I would say is like, you are in your home, you're making improvements to your home. This is a pretty solid idea with respect to how you're going to improve the home. And what's exciting, Gavin, I think we're starting to see where a few years ago, the appraising community. So when you're selling your home and you're getting appraised value on it, wasn't really up to speed on where solar was and how that added value to the home. That's changing, right? So, and there's been a number of different studies and I'm sure we could link to it in the credits of this that, you know, that suggested by looking at the data, those homes that have solar already installed are selling faster and for more money. So, you know, if you're thinking you may move in the future, well, if, if I could make an improvement that's going to help save me money today and yet also help my home sell faster and for more money in the future, that still seems like a really smart decision to, to move into with relatively little downside. And so, you know, what the, you know, the lending community, quite frankly, is counting on is as most homeowners do sell their home, then, you know, the, the loan can get wrapped into that overall transaction. And now you're getting that loan taken out. They, of course, is the option for the loans to be passed to the next homeowner, which is what is always done with PPAs and leases offered by like a Sonova or a Sunrun. So there's options that make that not really a great objection to making a decision to move forward today. That's great. I'm glad we were able to kind of cover that because I know that that's been, when I've talked with, with folks that have been talking about solar and storage and thinking about it, that's always one of the questions that come in or what are my options if I go and do this purchase or this loan, what does that look like over the long-term ownership of the house? And it's good to know that, you know, that you, you see benefits in the valuation of the property there. And there's also just options in which to kind of tuck it into the future mortgage or opportunities such as that. So I'm, I'm glad we're able to kind of touch on to that a bit, because I know that's always been a question for, for some folks. And Yeah. And I think that is really what's maybe helping to drive a little bit more adoption and for folks to feel more comfortable about making this type of investment, because for a lot of folks, this may potentially seem to be a longer term investment, but knowing that there are solutions um, so they don't necessarily have to stay in it for the long haul, um, I think give folks a lot more flexibility in realizing where they can kind of plug in to this pun intended and you know what options may be the kind of best fit for where they are uh, in their lives at that time. So Jordan, one of the things that we've been thinking about is as we're seeing the solar market start to really gain some traction over the course of the past few years, what do you feel the potential is for the solar market in Texas? What do you see really going on in this transition to clean energy and how fast do you think this transition is going to be? Well, Marina, I love it that you're you're setting me up for failure here because there's no way I'm going to be anywhere close to being right. But so I left the crystal ball at home today. But look, you know, we've got 30 million Texans, right? And if you look at the Texas state forecast or the governor's office with respect to our population growth, driven by organic population growth and as well, you know, the influx of residents we're getting from all over the United States, by the mid part of this century, we're suggested to be over 50 million Texans. 
right? So if you look at this, the growth in sheer population, and if we were to even keep up with that, it would be phenomenal growth in Texas, right? So, you know, I kind of look at it as really untapped with respect to the market. Best I can tell, there's a few three to 4,000 solar installs a month going on across the entire state, which at that rate, I don't know that we're even keeping up with the new houses that are going up, right? So we're actually, in a way, losing market share every single month. So I think there is so much runway, so much opportunity within the state. And it's a great business, not only, right, is it helps address decarbonization and moving away from fossil fuels, but the companies, you know, that are required to go do that, like Fast Track and many others, you know, these are great jobs where it's local jobs and folks that are running around building stuff, uh, delivering a service that creates and adds value. So, you know, I think that we're going to see just really rapid growth because Texans love solar and they love it because it's around energy independence. It's around saving money. So it's around being efficient with our resources and all things that we as Texans all hold near and dear. Solar is really consistent with those values. So again, my crystal ball is very difficult to say where that's going to go, but I don't think I see it anywhere, but going up. Yeah. I think you've totally hit that with that desire, that strong desire for energy independence, no matter what form that takes. Um, and especially as we're you know, pushing forward to, you know, looking at decarbonization really with this shift towards green energy. And then, as you mentioned, the jobs opportunities, I think there we're really going to see a huge impact and it's going to be really interesting to kind of track this shift uh, over the course of the coming years um, as we move from fossil fuels into clean energy and see how that really plays out. And I just wanted to kind of continue down the question Marina had there, you know, on the transition. And and this is more kind of on the regulatory and, and, and policy side there. What do you kind of see, you know, with the state legislature in, in session now um, for the next uh, few months, you know, what are, what are some potential opportunities uh, right on the regulatory side that uh, may kind of help ease that transition or increase the speed in which we, we see the transition happening? It's a great question, Gavin. And, you know, I, it was a number of sessions ago that we did pass a law within Texas called House Bill 362 that prevents HOA and other homeowner associations from actually blocking people from putting solar in their house. And this is something that, you know, we've seen historically, we continue to run into today where you know, some less than helpful neighbors want to tell other people that they can't put solar panels on their roof. So thankfully, there is a law in place, as I mentioned, House Bill 362, that does not allow those groups to actually block for you. Now, they can make you run through an approval process where you make a request. They can make a request for the panels not to be located on the front of the home. But by and large, that's not somewhere where they can be blocked. So that's a good thing that we have to the extent that we could strengthen those rules and extend those even down to the different cities, that would be terrific. So there are cities out there that are still a little backwards, such as Arlington, Texas, that have rules that will eliminate or prevent some people from being able to go solar. And to the extent that the state government could help encourage those local governments to help make that process, you know, help make the process easier and to make solar available to uh, all their residents, I think that would be incredibly helpful. And then, you know, there's a lot of work going on nationally 
and I think we could support this with good regulation in Texas to make the the permitting not only permitting costs but the permitting process more consistent and uh, quicker for solar installations. And just to give you an example, and I'm going to pick our own on our own great city of Houston, Texas. The city of Houston is probably, guys, one of the more difficult cities to deal with respect to new homes or new solar systems. So they've required very expensive permit fees, professional engineering and stamps, not only from a structural side, but an electrical side, as well as additional letters that are stamped by professional engineers that have added, you know, what amounts to roughly $1,000 for every new customer in Texas or in the city of Houston, excuse me, that we don't have to pay in other jurisdictions. And so, you know, what I'd love to see is some real leadership from the state level, but certainly to encourage that from our own leaders like Sylvester Turner, our mayor here in Houston, to really get into the weeds and help remove some of those barriers. Because if we can make it more streamlined and make it more consistent, again, that's going to go to those soft costs we opened up and we're talking about. And if we can go complete installations more quickly and with more consistent requirements, that's going to continue to make it easier for companies like Fast Track and others to fulfill the requirements of the jurisdictions, which is what we all want to make sure that we're in line with, but just knowing that that is going to be the same as we move from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And today it's not. You know, I can tell you we've done installations in 100 plus different AHJs around the state of Texas. And they're all different. <laughs> and so, you know, we fortunately have got some great team members who will dive into those, uh, those processes and get on different portals and make different submissions. But, I mean, I tell you what, it just seems like a really ripe opportunity to where we as in, through our governments and, and regulatory bodies could help remove some of those barriers that are making it more difficult, more time consuming and more expensive for customers to choose solar. Well, absolutely. And, and the discussion on, you know, solar permitting and such is, you know, it's a key piece of the, of the climate action plan that came out of the city of Houston is really kind of helping ensure we had the latest codes, but then also that we had solar ready homes and that we made the permitting process more streamlined and easier to manage. And, and I'm also glad you brought up the piece about homeowners associations. As we still continue to talk to people, there's still that question of, can a homeowner association stop me from putting solar up? And, and the simple answer is no, they really can't. There's maybe some slight restrictions, but for the most part, if you are a homeowner in Texas, you can put solar on your roof. And so it's just good to continue that conversation and make sure that people understand that there really aren't those limitations placed on them anymore. Following that, I'm wondering, Jordan, as you're moving through this space, having the conversations with not only local governments, um, but the homeowners as well. What's one piece of advice um, you would give to every homeowner who's looking at the potential of solar? I don't know if I can give just one piece of advice, but um, I think making sure that hopefully anyone that they're talking to is educating them completely on what solar will and will not do. And that can provide sort of the, the background and materials that we would hope that they would. So, you know, I think it's critically important. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's different actors in the market, and some do a much better job than others. As with all things, you have that sort of 
distribution, but making sure that they're really going into and doing a good design and they're being transparent about what solar is going to produce or not going to produce, right? And what that means to their energy bill and how much that will uh, it will not save them. And so if there's things that I've seen, which are sort of the cautionary red tails uh, or red uh, flags in the, in the space is, you know, you've seen certain actors and groups misrepresent how much solar is going to produce, what it's going to do. So for example, to comply with, you know, the National Electric Code and those other regulations, solar systems cannot work if the grid's down. And that's in place to, um, in theory, protect linemen and folks that might be working on the actual power grids from electricity being um, put back onto the grid in the event of an outage. So making sure customers know what it's going to produce, the fact that, yeah, it's not going to make any energy while the the grid's down, unless it was done in such a fashion where you did have a battery and it was set up that way, right? But for the vast majority of solar installations, it's not going to work. But we've seen too often where either uninformed or salespeople who otherwise just have shared incorrect information with the homeowners. Those are things that we want to avoid. So I would absolutely encourage as folks are talking to whichever company is, making sure that they represent the information correctly so that the customer can be as informed as possible before making this decision. So education, 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 that seems to be what everything comes back to. It comes, look, yeah, that's right, Marina. And that's for us, you know, so our model is that we, we work with lots of independent sort of sales groups to, to offer solar to homeowners. And we spend a lot of time, resources and money focused on educating the men and women who are educating the homeowners. So we're trying to educate the educators because we want people to be armed with the correct information so that as they can have those conversations with more and more people, because ultimately solar is terrific, but it's also not going to be right and terrific for everybody at this time. Right. So you just have to be willing to get out there and have, have those conversations. And if you're going to have those conversations, we want the different you know groups out there to be as educated as possible on what is and isn't an option with solar and ultimately letting customers make that decision for their own home. And I think that's a great way to kind of wrap it up is that education piece. I mean, it's very, very critical that uh, people are better informed that that information is out there. And, and we really, really appreciate the work that, that you guys are doing in the solar industry. And so Jordan, I wanted to thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. As I said, we've kind of known each other for a while. So it's a great opportunity to kind of, you know, learn more about uh, where you are now and, and kind of the work you're doing. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. No, appreciate it. And uh, I love the opportunity to join you guys today and talk Texas solar for a little while and would love to be back in the future. Absolutely. And so that was Jordan Fruget joining us today with Fast Track Energy Services. He's the president and founder of the new solar company here in, in Houston. I and mean, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. You've been listening to Energy Crossroads, where we discuss the Texas clean energy movement. Visit harkresearch.org or energyhub.harkresearch.org to learn more. I'm Gavin Dillingham. Marina Bedouin Criticos is my co host. The Energy Crossroads podcast is powered by Hark and made in partnership with the Mitchell Foundation and the State Energy Conservation Office. Thanks for listening to Energy Crossroads. Please help spread the word by rating and reviewing the show, and then stay tuned for our next episode. Take care.